Good morning. I'm Matt Hoffman in for Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, September 27th. County leaders have declared a humanitarian crisis over the influx of asylum seekers. More on that next, but first, let's get to the headlines. San Diego Unified School Board trustees last night approved a resolution reaffirming protections for LGBTQ students. The district will also recognize the community's history in October. 16-year-old Matthew Kitoriano is one of the student board trustees. These are students that we're talking about. We're talking about real humans that have lives and dreams and have a complex identity. And that's really the big thing that we really want to highlight. The school board's resolution reaffirms a student's gender identity by requiring the use of their preferred name and pronouns. It also calls for more curriculum, recognizing the history and contributions of the LGBTQ community. This week, the county got a more than $5 million grant to help people experiencing homelessness. This is directed along the Sweetwater Riverbed, and it's between Chula Vista and National City. The money will also provide assistance to an area of the riverbed known as the Jungle. It's parallel to the 805 in Chula Vista. The goal of this project is to get people into housing and also help clean up the riverbed. It's expected to help about 75 people who live along the Sweetwater Riverbed. Soon, when you request an Uber, you may get offered a taxi instead. It's part of a new partnership between the rideshare company and taxi operators throughout Southern California. The program is meant to provide more earning opportunities for taxi drivers and faster pickups for riders. Here's San Diego Yellow Cab Vice President Akbar Majid. The recent study shows in San Francisco, which they, I believe, launched approximately a year ago, the income for taxi drivers have increased by $1,700 a month. Those drivers that are participating in this program, and we're anticipating the same here in San Diego. If you call an Uber and you do end up getting matched with a taxi, you'll still have the option of declining it. The program is set to begin this week. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. This week, the San Diego County Board of Supervisors declared a humanitarian crisis. It's over the surge in asylum seekers being dropped off by customs officials throughout the county. They're asking the federal government for resources, but organizations helping these arriving migrants say in the meantime, the county needs to step up. Reporter Tanya Thorne has an update. The request to the federal government is this. Either limit the number of asylum seekers released into the region or provide the resources for non-government partners to help the migrants reach their destinations. Federal support is going to take time, and organizations who've been providing the support for the last two weeks are looking to the county to fill that gap. Is it not the local county who is even more appropriately positioned with way more resources and a dedicated Office of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs that should be leading this effort? That was Lisa Acuestas with Casa Familiar in San Isidro. The county didn't deploy any immediate support to the organizations on the ground, but recommendations do include continued support from the Office of Immigrants and Refugee Affairs. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. 
the Biden administration is moving forward with plans to build new border walls over at Friendship Park. Advocates told border reporter Gustavo Solis that these new walls contradict the park's mission to be a sign of binational unity. People from all over the world come to San Diego and they think I want to go to the zoo and I want to go to the Bal- to Balboa Park. Friendship Park should be on that list because it's such a, a remarkable, beautiful site. That's John Fanestill. He loves Friendship Park. It's a truly unique binational park, half of it in Tijuana, the other half in San Diego, on top of a hill overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Fanestil says Friendship Park has the potential to be a real destination. But instead of moving toward the realization of that potential, our federal government has effectively moved further and further away from that. The latest blow has been the destruction of the Binational Garden, a series of flower beds that sit on both sides of the border wall. Fanestil says that construction crews destroyed the U.S. side of the garden when they replaced the border wall earlier this year. So whereas the U.S. side of the Binational Garden had already been trashed, uh, they are now about to trash the Mexico side of the Binational Garden. One of the most unique features of the park is a section where people from Mexico can spend time with people from the U.S. without having to cross the border. It's a popular gathering spot where deportees or undocumented immigrants can visit loved ones. Customs and Border Protection has promised, in writing, to reopen it once wall construction is complete. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. San Diego adopted single-family zoning 100 years ago. Reporter Katie Heisen looked into the racist origins of zoning and how its impacts are still being felt today. As a child, Ricardo Flores moved away from apartment-filled city heights where his extended family lived to the relative quiet of single-family homes in Rancho San Diego. Flores says he stuck out. In my neighborhood, it was pretty much white kids and I was the only brown person. And then when I'd go visit my cousins, it was only people of color. At the time, he never questioned why that was. He thinks most people don't. We honestly probably don't even understand how we're living here and others are living over there. We just assume that it's because we went to college, we worked hard, our parents did the same. But in reality, it's much more sinister than that, actually. Sinister, Flores says, because that separation between people of color and white people was intentional. Berkeley created one of the first zoning laws in 1916. White neighbors wanted to push out two Japanese-owned laundries, a Chinese-owned laundry, and a dance hall mostly used by Black people. So they enforced residential zoning in those locations. A year later, the Supreme Court ruled racial zoning unconstitutional. But in some ways, it didn't matter. Single-family zoning worked just as well to segregate. San Diego adopted it in 1923. In some neighborhoods, developers can build apartments or duplexes, affordable to non-white residents who tend to be less wealthy. The rest of residential land is restricted to less affordable single-family homes. Planners managed to segregate San Diego without saying the word race. Berkeley researchers wanted to understand the impact of the last 100 years of zoning in San Diego, so they categorized every plot in the city. Turns out, single-family-only zoning takes up most of the residential land, 81%. Those areas are wealthier and whiter, with higher home prices, and they engage in something researcher Samir Gambier calls resource hoarding. The non-single-family zones have fewer resources, fewer uh, good schools and large commutes. And that really 
restricts the wealth generation. Under zoning, zip codes became powerful predictors of someone's education, income, health, even how long they live. Cities across the country have voted to end single-family zoning in recent years, including Berkeley. But Gambier's co-researcher, Joshua Cantong, says it's an uphill battle. I don't know if we can underestimate how powerful homeowner resistance is to retaining single-family zoning, because generally white, affluent, male, older constituents are more involved in planning processes. In other words, it's often white, wealthy homeowners who can go to city meetings and argue their side. Flora says the reasons they give for pushback have changed over the years. At first it was, you know, you're in a fire hazard. No, that's not true. Uh, you're going to destroy land values. No, that's not true. He says the main argument now is that it will change the quote-unquote character of neighborhoods. You're going to change the look of my neighborhood. What I would wonder is, are they talking about the buildings? Because we can replicate buildings. The buildings, he questions, or the people? Regardless of the reasons, Florida says San Diego, exploding with population growth, can't afford to hold on to old zoning restraints. Here we are 1.3 million, and we have this antiquated zoning policy. And we see it in homelessness. We see it in skyrocketing housing prices, over a million dollars. We see it in segregation, which we definitely know. He fought for a proposal to end single-family zoning in about half of San Diego, but the Planning Commission voted in August to hold it back for workshopping. He says it could create affordable housing for middle-income earners, free up existing apartments for lower-income earners, limit urban sprawl, and slow climate change. And, he says, it could finally fulfill a goal of the civil rights movement integration. We have a segment of our society that does not grow up with people of color. And then they achieve power and other status and they reinforce those bad decisions because they don't grow up with people that are different than them. Flores plans to continue rallying support for the proposal before bringing it back to the commission. Katie Heisen, KPBS News. Coming up, a San Diego Youth Services librarian gives us her top book recommendations for Hispanic Heritage Month. It's those stories that speak to the heart. Um, Hispanic culture is so much about togetherness, family, and food. So I especially love books that reflect that. We'll have that and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. A North County public health care district is requiring people to accept a terms of use agreement to access its website. North County reporter Alexander Wynn explains why that might violate public access laws. As a public health care district, Palomar Health is supposed to have public records such as meeting minutes and agendas available online. But if you visit Palomar's website, you'll see a terms of use agreement. You won't be able to access the website if you don't accept the terms. David Loy is the legal director for the First Amendment Coalition. He says he's never seen public agencies impose these terms and conditions to access their website. I think it is 
deeply problematic, if not completely illegal. The public has a, a complete right to access agency records, agendas for agency meetings. Uh, these are public records. They belong to the people. The government serves the people. The story was first reported by Voice of San Diego, a nonprofit news organization. Loy says by imposing the terms of use, Palomar could be violating the Brown Act. In a statement, Palomar Health says it is in the process of updating its outdated terms of use to, quote, reflect current legal requirements, and it hopes to have those ready by year-end. Alexander Wen, KPPS News. Books are a way we can see ourselves reflected in the world. They can teach us about who we are, our culture, and our history, especially for kids. My colleague Jade Heinemann spoke with San Diego librarian Katia Graham to get book recommendations for Hispanic Heritage Month. Here's that conversation. Before we jump into the recommendations, I want to know, what do you look for when picking a children's book uh, for Hispanic Heritage Month? Well, I look for a book that really does what the month is all about, justice. So for children's books, it's colorful illustrations. It's those stories that speak to the heart. Um, Hispanic uh, culture is so much about togetherness, family, and food. So I especially love books that reflect that. And you've organized a lot of story times. Are there any specific stories or themes that um, have really resonated with kids or made them reflect on their heritage in a different way? Yes. Um, I led a Hispanic Heritage Month story time. It was bilingual in Spanish. And the two books that we read were Soñadores or Dreamers by Juji Morales and Frida Kahlo and Sus Animalitos. So the book's about two artists. So the kids loved thinking about Hispanic culture through art. And there was a fun activity afterward. All right. And you know, let's go ahead and start with some picture books. What are your recommendations there? Well, I've already mentioned two, Dreamers or Soñadores by Juji Morales. And I also have been reading a lot to classes, a book called Empanadas for Everyone, which is by Jackie Asua Kramer. That book is wonderful. It's about a girl who misses her tia and makes her signature empanadas recipe to take to her where she's volunteering. So classes get to leave with a copy of that recipe. A beloved book is Alma and How She Got Her Name or Alma y Como Obtuvo Su Nombre by Juana Martinez Neal. And that is about a little Latin girl who has quite a long name and she's not sure how she feels about it. But it turns out that every one of her names is after someone special in her family, and she learns why. And Alma is the name that is just for her, so she can write her own story. Nice. And how about middle grade novels for the older kids? Well, Meg Medina has a great Mercy Suarez series, and Mercy Suarez Changes Gears is one I love. Mercy is a sixth grader, and she's grappling with the sweet and salty that Medina says uh, just goes with writing for middle grade. We can all remember what we struggled with in middle school. And Mercy, uh, she has a, a tight-knit family and her abuelo is acting differently and they're coming to terms with why. 
And there are also a lot of books for teens. What do you suggest in the young adult genre? Hands down, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica Sanchez. It was a National Book Award finalist. And it is about, it's very much about two sisters. Unfortunately, one of them dies and the sister left behind. She struggles with her relationship with her parents because can she live up to this, the daughter that they lost and she learns some information and she has a dilemma about whether to share that with her family because it might mean changing the way they think about the daughter they lost. Mm. Does it touch on on themes of, of generational differences at all? It does. There's the expectations that your family has for you and everyone can understand that and as a Latina in the United States, you know, my parents brought their own expectations and have a lot of hope for you. They came to this country. And can you ever live up to what they hope that you will make of that opportunity? Mm. I want to talk more about your background as a librarian. I understand that you actually got your start in journalism. So where did your interest in libraries come from? Well, Libraries have always been a safe haven for me, and there are a lot of parallels in librarianship and journalism. We stand for freedom of information. We believe everyone has a story. And being a librarian, I get to keep a pulse on the community, just like I did when I was a reporter. And that's really a privilege. You're also launching Librarian on the Go. Tell me more about that and and some of the organizations you work with. Sure. A librarian on the go is a catalyst to encourage reading and community engagement through outreach librarian services. One thing I learned as a librarian is that you have to go out to draw people in. I am blessed I get to work with the Museum of Contemporary Art in San Diego, La Jolla Music Society, some schools, and it is a great way to show how librarianship can be plugged into what a nonprofit or a school is doing and enhance it for the betterment of the community and literacy. That was San Diego Youth Services Librarian Katia Graham speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. That's going to do it for the podcast today. We appreciate you being here. As always, you can find more San Diego news on our website, kpbs.org. Be sure to join us here again tomorrow for all of the day's top stories, including one about a new federal lawsuit that's demanding the military do more for service members who were discharged under its don't ask, don't tell policy. I'm Matt Hoffman. We'll catch you here again tomorrow. Have a great Wednesday. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places.